Jet Podcast with me, Eden Law. Continuing from the last episode about the analog games industry, we get into more fun geeky stuff with Brendan Wiescotton from Esmodinov America, for example about how Magic the Gathering gets made, and we hear about some recommendations about good games to get into, if you're looking to get into board games, which you totally should. Hope you enjoy! I, I work for a company called Asmodee. Um, it's it's a pretty large company now. They've bought up a number of uh, studios, including Fantasy Flight Games, which is where I got my job originally. So Fantasy Flight Games is like, um, you might have heard of them. They deal with uh, Game of Thrones and Star Wars licenses, Lord of the Rings as well. So if you see like Game of Thrones board game or Star Wars card game or whatever, that's that's them. Um, and then I work on the marketing side. How did you get into the role? It would seem like from LinkedIn, you've had a lot of uh, creative writing experience, but this role is currently is, is more publicity and marketing. Maybe could you take us like how, how one thing led to another? Sure, sure. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a, a rambling path. Um, we love rambling. Whatever fills up the podcast, it's cool. <laughs> When I was on Jet, I did a lot of writing on my own time. It was just something. It was a way to. Uh, it was a way to. One one of the the uses of it was it was a way to keep people back home, kind of keyed into what was going on in my life. You know, some close friends and family and stuff. But then it also became just an outlet, something something to do in my uh, my weeknight evenings when I didn't have anything to do. It was just a fun way to pass the time. And then I started doing stuff with. Um, with Magic's story, like I, I said before, I was doing a weekly column related mm-hmm. to that, um, and that involved a, a bit of creative creative writing and whatnot. And um, I really got enamored with that. So my ultimate goal at the time was actually to um, to get into uh, Magic's story team. So that's you know I got the freelance job, which also was along that line. It was um, the freelance writing for Wizards that I did was it was uh, card names and flavor text on the cards. They had a database that you got access to at a certain point in the production of a set, and um, they would give you what the card did, um, and then if the art was finished, which it, it usually wasn't by that point, but kind of toward the end of the, the period where I was working, art would start coming in. And so you'd get as much detail as they could provide, and then it was up to you to suggest uh, names for the card and then also flavor text, in other words, like little story text that appears in the bottom of the card. So they um, actually gave you the option to to control to, to uh, that, that sort of creative input as well? Um, yes and no. I mean, I was one of maybe five or so. They had teams that would work on each individual set. Um, and then all of us would suggest names and stuff, and we could see each other's suggestions. So we could kind of build off of each other a little bit. And then the ultimate authority went back to Wizards. Like their creative team would be the ultimate authority in terms of choosing a specific name and whatnot. When we had power in the sense that if you know we provided, if we did well enough, then we would get picked, obviously. But it wasn't like we had the final say or anything like that. I know you spoke before about how you um, reached out to Magic the Gathering. Was it hard to to get into that kind of into that group? At that time, I don't think it was super hard, especially with the position I'd been in. Like, you know, I I had obviously shown a strong passion for the story of the game, um, Mm -hmm. which obviously helped. But also back then, Magic was less popular, kind of hard to believe, but at the time it felt like it was still super popular. But it was was less popular, and um, that side of the game was also much less popular. 
I was mm-hmm. one of the very first people to, to be talking about the story of magic. Up to that point, the magic story was almost entirely controlled by Wizards itself. Very few people commented about it or talked about that type of stuff. So I think that was another point where I was kind of lucky, where I got in on the ground floor, you know. So when I did want to join, I basically, I found out that they they hired freelancers for this type of thing. So I sent a member, I sent an email to a member of the of their creative team saying I was interested in doing this. They sent me a test of, you know, fake cards that I would um, provide answers for. And then um, judging by that, they would either accept me or not. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess I did well enough because they accepted me. And then after that, it was just a matter of, you know, them putting me on a team with some other people. So, but now, shortly after I, about a year or two later, it started becoming much more popular. A number of other people that I had networked with that also cared about the story and stuff all ended up asking me how I did it. And so I provided them information and a number mm-hmm. of them got into it as well. And so now it's much more public and more popular on on like that kind of role. I think it's a lot harder to get into because a lot more people want to be in it, right? Hopefully not too impossible. The avenue is still there for people to try their hands at getting into an industry. Right. Yeah, I think anybody that wanted to follow the same path I did could potentially do it. It's not, I don't think it's a closed door or anything like that. I'd be curious, how is um, how are board games doing in this world of games where there's digital games, so there's games on your phone, games on your computer, games on your TV, games attached to your watch. There's literally games everywhere. But how how um how is the um board game industry or card game industry been exploding? It's, it's actually it's actually been exploding for the past five years. Um, it's I was telling Eden earlier. It's been growing by something like twenty percent every single year for the past four or five years. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's been insane. Um, there's a lot of theories as to why, um, and I'm sure it's a mixture of most of them. Um, but it, I think some of the big stuff is the recession. It, you know, really started growing during the recession. I think, you know, they always a lot of social scientists always talk about how. Uh, during recessions when people feel like the world is dark and stuff, they kind of spend their money on on escapist things like movies and games and books and stuff. And then just more recently, just game design has gotten a lot better. Um, and I also think video games are actually part of the thing too. Like, you know, more and more people are playing video games and so it's, it's becoming more acceptable to play board games in public spaces. That has really helped the industry as well. I don't know how prevalent it is in Australia, but in the States and even in Japan to some extent, it's become really popular for um, stores to have kind of like a cafe and either be a be a board game store and have a cafe or be a cafe and have like a bunch of board games that people can rent or buy or, or play you know, while they're there. I've seen that occasionally at like, cof- like coffee shops even sure. in Cleveland. Um, <laughs> uh, that's certainly a model that w- might work here, but I get a feeling like, I don't know, what do you think, Eden, at cafes here, you can't, I don't know if you can spend that much time playing board games, like, <laughs> yeah, like, I think maybe, you possibly eat a meal and talk a little bit, then get out, <laughs> yeah, I would, I, yeah, I would, probably, um, I think it depends on the area, like, definitely, for example, shops like Games Workshops, uh, yeah. the branch around here, they, they always have a, a basement dedicated to weekend gamings mm, and sure. um, the friend I was saying to Brendan before my, my friend he always goes to regular 
Magic the Gathering tournaments, which last for about four to five hours yeah. um, at, out, out west. So, and I know in Canberra, like another friend who was a, a, an enthusiast, a board game enthusiast, and he actually, speaking of which, uh, he actually wants, wants me to say that uh, he plays Dixit. Uh, nice, nice. Yes, he plays Dixit, and he has wrote, he has recruited his entire friend circle of friends and families to play Dixit. So he wanted me to say it for your for your benefit. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, he, please let me I appreciate him him and his friends keeping me employed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him that. Yes. Uh, this swanky cocktail bar actually allows you to go in and play board games and buy like martinis and cocktails and beers and things like that. So it, it's kind of funny playing board games when you're you're kind of pissed, uh, drunk. <laughs> it's an interesting experience. Yeah, everyone's your friend. Honestly, I think that's one of the best ways to play. That's, oh yeah, hell yeah. That's probably the way it's caught on by introducing into that kind of environment because previously I think you might have think board games combined to your house or something, but if you if they're released into the outside environment, then there's more potential for growth as cafes or restaurants or events and so sure. on. So, What areas have, and like demographically or socially, have grown? Like, is there a profile of like, you know, 55-year-old women that have exploded in the game scene or something like that? Um, I don't have any hard data. That's, that's not really um, something I've dealt with in particular. Um, most of my knowledge is just more industry-wide stuff. Yeah. But, um, I know one of the big things is people kind of our age, we grew up, even if we didn't play games, we grew up with like Magic the Gathering having, you know, started and when we were younger and um, all these other games like Pokemon and a lot of these other card games and board games that are still popular today. And our demographic has now grown up and gotten jobs and families and stuff. And so now we are getting back into that stuff or getting into it for the first time because we have the money and you know maybe we're trying to introduce our kids to it or we're just looking for something else to do. I know that's been kind of a big thing in in board games. I think video games is too, too but I, I don't pretend to know much about that in the video game side. Yeah, nostalgiaism is, is a really lucrative industry. You know, you, you think about like um, how much, how popular pop culture Anything that's branded with pop culture from like Star Wars or, or uh, Legend of Zelda, things like that, you know, anything from mugs to, to I don't know, like the luxury, I would say luxury items such as um, custom-made uh, carved signboards maybe because, like you said, the, the kids that grew up with the stuff, now they've grown up to be professionals with money to spend and they may not have any kids so you know they start they've got the money to buy expensive stuff yeah I mean look at look at Ninja Turtles that was something that was popular when I was a kid and and yeah. now they're bringing it back and remarketing it to millennials so they can both millennials could also both end up watching it somehow and remarketing it to their children at the same time like look at this this is awesome I grew up with it and you will love it because I love it too why don't you want daddy to love you yeah, yeah. What are like some of the, I guess, simple entry level or softer games that appeal to people? Like just, you know, you could just throw a few friends in and play without making some people's eyes cross as the rules. <laughs> sure. I think um, real quick before I answer that question, I think this actually ties back to um, 
your earlier question about the growth of the industry, and um, I think there's a lot more of these types of games now, which is a big reason why the industry has grown. Because I, I feel like you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was Monopoly and all these basic board games, and that was kind of it. Whereas now, there's a lot of these games that you're asking about that you can pick up and play in even as short as five or ten minutes. So, like, Dixit is one that um, one made by my company. There's also another one by my company called Spot It. They're both super easy to get into pretty quick. Very, very small. Like, there's a lot of small games now. Like, one of the big fads the past couple of years has been... Um, small games that you can, like, put in your pocket. So you can, like, carry it around, and, you know, if you're waiting in line or something, you can play it. And so, like, a lot of those exist. I'm trying to think. One of the big ones a couple years ago that really set off that trend, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it, it's just, like, it's all... It, the game is nine cards and a, bun, a couple little counters, so it just fits in, like, a tiny little bag, and it takes five minutes to play. But it's, it's super popular and fun. But then, oh, going a little further... Uh, one of the other big games in terms of that was Catan, Settlers of Catan, if, if you've heard of it. It's kind of like our our version of Monopoly, not in how it plays, but in the sense that that's been a, it's been a mass market game. It's been in um, and I, um, in like Targets and Walmarts all over United States. Um, I'm sure it's been in some of the mass market stores in Australia at some point. It's a super easy game to get into. It's just complicated enough for people to feel like it's got a lot of depth, but it's not so complicated where it's going to scare off too many people. Like, if I was to say something, like, that I'm looking for a game, like, for instance, last year I backpacked, like, New Zealand and just did some hiking for three weeks, and you'd end up in this hut on top the side of this mountain, and it's, like, cold as crap, and it's 8 o'clock at night, and there's no internet and no TV. Can you imagine that? And... Uh, <laughs> And this, I remember this this French guy who could barely understand busted out this like random dice card game. Like, you want to play with me? And he had a whole table of like seven people playing this game. You know, <laughs> in the middle of this woods huts. Do you have any like recommendations for something like that that's pocketable that I can bring with me to bring joy to people? <laughs> um, the I I just remembered, or I just looked up the um. The game, the big game I was thinking of was called Love Letter. It's nine cards. It's actually originally a Japanese game. It was by a Japanese designer. It's actually more than nine cards. It's like 20 cards, but there's nine different characters, and each character has like a special ability. And the whole point is you're trying to finish the game with the princess in your hand, but if someone catches you with the princess throughout the game, you're out. So it's just a, an elimination game. Different cards will, like some cards will let you guess what card is in someone's hand. If you're right, they're eliminated. Other cards will let you look at the card that the person has. It's a super quick, easy, light game. You know, fits in a little drawstring bag. Another another big one that's a, it's a little bit more toward the kid side, but it's still fun for adults is um, Spot It. It's one my my company makes. Um, it's just a bunch of different like circle cards basically, and they have a bunch of different images on it. And everybody has two of them. They start with two of them. And you, what you're trying to do is match one image on one of yours to someone else's um, before everyone else. So, like, if you match it, you give them your card. So you're just trying to get rid of your card. So it's another super easy, quick game. People at my company play it. Like, we were at a company picnic last month, and there's a bunch of people playing it while we were waiting in line for food. Those are those are two, two popular ones that are super easy and fit in your pocket. It might be a useful thing for current Jet teachers because some of those games you can always... Yeah. Adapt them and tweak them and add forceful elements of forced English learning into them. So, 
<laughs> Definitely. I mean, if you're not using games to teach English, then what, what are you doing? <laughs> I actually did some googling on cafe gaming venues and found that Canberra has had a mini boom of sorts lately in dedicated gaming pubs. Notice it's pubs, not cafes, because Australia, mate. Sydney has a few venues as well, but from what I can see, Canberra has cooler digs. So you win this round, Canberra. If you're interested in checking out these places for yourself, check out the webpage resources for this episode. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with a story to tell or an idea of what you'd like to hear, Email me at info at jetaanewsouthwales.org. That's I-N-F-O at J-E-T-A-A-N-S-W dot org. Until next time, bye-bye.